Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Happy Friday. I love the podcast because it's always like, woo, Friday feels. It's a good ending. Yes. Although I don't know that there's an end to anything because we're in the <laughs> middle of the legislative session. Mara Carabello's in studio. Greg Hughes is in his man cave right now working on some bills. <laughs> like so busy, he just can't even come join us. So thanks yeah, for being um, here. This is, fir- this is the first time I've done this remotely. You know, I feel like I'm going to get, I like it when when uh, the other uh, guest host is on the on the phone, because then I can interrupt at ease. But now I'm at the disadvantage, so I don't know. It is so easier to lock you, you out. Okay, well, we're going to go through a ton of these bills because a lot of them that I wanted to talk about are the ones that we keep hearing about on the news. And there's a couple bills that are literally sucking the oxygen out of the air, but I know there's other important things happening. We keep talking about the two transgender bills. One of them died today. It was the one that would not allow... Um, children to transition is that right mara right the doctor bill yeah. uh, it died a couple hours ago in committee so so it, that one is gone and the other one that everyone's been talking about is the transgender sports bill it moved past the house on wednesday and just yesterday we heard from the governor uh who was fairly emotional saying i don't know that i can stand behind this bill he says he understands that girls need a place for their sports but we need to sit down and talk about this. And as of last night when we did a story, uh, the representative, Kara Berkland, who is um, working on this bill, hadn't spoken to the governor yet. So how much of this is talk and show and how much of it is going to be getting down to the nitty-gritty is still up in the air. Do you think there's way to work this out and make it work, or should the whole thing die, Mara? You know, the governor led with, hey, I'm, I'm willing to talk to the sponsor. He did also insinuate that he might veto it, though. I mean, he was, as you suggested, passionate and really yeah. personal about that. This has been a controversial bill the whole time. I don't think that they've resolved all the issues. So the question will be, can you get the governor to the point where he feels comfortable? Because I think, actually, the legislature, if one had to guess, they're going to pass it. So then that leads to the question of an override, um, which becomes very interesting because they technically have the votes. But I would put forth that they would be expending a lot of political chits and energy if they chose an override pass. So will they do that, Greg? Because at the state of the state, I think that was a very impassioned something we heard from the governor that he was going to veto bills and they may override them. And this may be one of them. But is this worth it to put all your coins on the table for this? Well, I, I will tell you, I hope that they uh, go upstream and they find agreement before it com- becomes uh, an issue or it com- comes to that. And I'll tell you why. You know, high school sports, I don't know if you if you have uh, children that have participated or you've, you've watched this. It's a highly sensitive issue generally. Uh, you see kids, that, students that will transfer from one school district to another. Uh, oftentimes, there's, there's controversy attached to that, whether that transfer was related to the sport that the the student plays and if they got a starting position on a, on a respective team and, and what does that do to the other students that were attending that school and limiting their opportunities. This is a, this is a very, this is tough. And I will tell you that 
if the legislature doesn't get in front of this and start defining some of these things, the moment you see young men who identify as women uh, participating in these high school of girls sports and taking those uh, roster spots from other girls, it, it will be a, a mushroom cloud. You will see parents and families and communities that won't tolerate it. They are not going to the issues that we're talking about with transgender uh, students. It's intensely personal. We've talked about this in the last uh, our last podcast. It's one that's more private, and I believe, than it is one you want neon lights around it, especially the students and the families that are confronting these challenges. It, but if you see these these sports go this route, and you start to see uh, roster spots filled with those that identify as female, uh, you there'll be a, there'll be a reaction from our communities, and I don't think it'll be positive. And I think it would be more divisive to see some to see our state in the aftermath deal with this than to get in front of it and uh, prevent it from. So happening. I'm going to stick with the and after this question. I'm going to stick with let's head to speed round, Greg, so we can cover more. But I will All say right. I will say I still think that that's encouraging hate, and I still think that there's just no role for the legislature. We have experts dealing with this issue. We have standards already set up by authorities who have expertise and jurisdiction, and I would suggest that the legislature is way out of their depth on this. All right, while we're talking about high school students, uh, there, there's a consent bill out there that's getting a lot of talk, too. This one's coming from Representative uh, Carol Spackman-Moss, who's been an educator for uh, many, many years. Uh, this one is obviously in Utah. It's a hot-button issue. Nobody wants to talk sex. They don't want them to talk sex <laughs> at school. Nobody wants to talk sex at home. But uh, this bill would aimed at requiring students to at least have a conversation about what consent is, what coercion is, sexual violence, and there's definitely two very strong sides on this. Greg, do we need this? And is 13, which is the age where we'd start talking to kids about this in school, too young to say no means no, or you have a choice and this is your body and you don't have to send those pictures or you don't have to do this? Well, I guess it's hard for me. I mean, 13 seems too young to me. I, I, I... I worry that we sexualize these kids at such an early age. We start talking about these things that are um, that I, I really think that as as you hit puberty and you become a young adult, you you need to confront these things in a, in a responsible way. Have you been in a junior way. high bathroom recently? Well, that's why I was just going to say that's that's Greg Hughes. Uh, you know, in the world I grew up in, I guess it's all happening around us so quickly. I have no I have no opposition to, and I don't think it's a bad thing to have more information for our young ones about what it means to consent and what to, you know, and how to handle uh, situations like this. I just want to be sensitive to it. I mean, our kids grow up so fast already. Let's just make sure it is age appropriate. And let's make sure it's in an environment where uh, this information is shared thoughtfully. Uh, and uh, you know, look, is it still the case that 13 year olds and others can, can mock and, and, and deride and take light of things that are pretty serious? I worry that, <laughs> you know, I just want it to be in the right environment as well. So it's a tough issue, so if but Greg at the end Hughes of the day, the I think. Yes or no on you for this one? I, I would. I'm going to give you my politician's answer. I have not read Representative Moss's bill thoroughly. Uh, in concept, I'm not opposed to it, but I would need to read the bill. Uh, to see how specifically it's implemented. So that's that would be my answer. So one thing I would say to, to Speaker Hughes is, uh, Representative Moss has done this the right way in that she did do some cleaning up of language with some Republican concerns that were well held on just language style. So there, this is a substitute bill. So I love to see bills improved. But to the core issue, I, I would remind our listeners that one in three women will experience sexual violence in their lives. And interesting little factoid about Utah, invite 
violent crimes, the only area where Utah is above average is in rape. So I think the conversation of if I don't have the conversation, my children won't do it is is antiquated and backwards in many ways. But I would also remind that we're talking about age-appropriate conversations. So when we talk about consent, don't assume the sexuality of the, re- of the conversation to take both young girls and young boys and say, Let's just talk about empowerment and consent and you and your choices and your body. I see that as just nothing but positive. I trust our teachers will make those conversations age appropriate. And the the assumption that talking about consent is 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 an adult um, MA sex conversation, I think is really some, some antiquated thinking, but this is really about empowering kids to understand where their boundaries are, which is needed more than ever in a social media world. I think that's part of the problem. We all live, grew up in an age where if you wanted to see something risque, you waited for the Sears catalog to come in the mail every fall, you know, (laughs) kids have phones, there's different demands, different videos, there's so much out there that our kids are so much wiser than we probably think they are. And I think just even with having phones and inappropriate pictures and sending them to each other, being like, send it to me or else, you know, there's some important conversations. And here in Utah and anywhere, I think a parent should have rights over how they raise their children. But oftentimes the people who are the loudest in these conversations are the ones who don't have the conversation at home. And then the kids don't get it anywhere. So it's Statistics are showing that maybe that conversation isn't happening a ton. Send them to and dinner at my house. <laughs> 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 and you can. I gotta be invited to dinner at Heidi's house. I want to see how that rolls. I, well, I, that's interesting. Greg's still waiting for the maturation conversation, oh, so well, that, Hi- that, Heidi will uh, take that know, role. Maturity's a big deal. I'm just saying <laughs> these kids gotta be mature enough to know what they're talking about. Oh that's my gosh! I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> I am the wrong one. You want the lesson from? I have to admit this. So we, Zoom calls. You know how there's always something that goes wrong. We had a Zoom meeting that I was signed on for at nine one day this week and it was just some training for work and I was in my pajamas cleaning things up in the kitchen and my husband had come in from working out and I thought my phone was on mute and Uh the the camera was on and I had it in my pocket because the meeting hadn't started yet and I was complaining and I kept referencing he and I can't make him stop and he's humping this and all of a sudden somebody in my ear is like uh Heidi I was talking about my dog he has problems and so I gave everyone who was in that way Room, a real education on some he inside my home. Is it my son, so, my dog, so, so my husband? Story, why would you call your husband a dog? I don't understand. No, why I didn't call him a dog. I just said he. But my dog, if I, anyone wants him, he's free right now. I think he needs to uh, go to the doctor and get fixed. He, I'm, I'm he mocking really, you, Heidi. Really I'm saying that you're. He is really I'm cute. Your excuse. Your excuse is you're talking about your dog. Right? I'm you think it was my I'm husband? Just, I have some questions here, yes. Oh, my husband's going to cancel this podcast. So, so, anyhow. For those who aren't following Heidi on social media, they should just follow her for dog pics. For dog pics? Yes. They're super. He is pretty cute. He's pretty naughty right now. He's in the teenage years, so I might <laughs> need to have some talks with him, too. He needs a consent Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Because the blanket said no. Um, I want to go through a couple of these others. Uh, There was one that passed today in the legislature, um, the COVID vaccine. It cannot be required. That'll head to the governor's desk now. Um, Bail reform, our friend Greg Hughes is still working on uh, madly behind the scenes. 
One that uh, Mara brought up is the rioting bill. We heard that early on in the legislature. It's been kind of quiet. Where's that one at today? You know, I mean, it's got some steam. It should go through. I like the intent of it. We're trying to point out that lawfulness in public speech is unacceptable. So I think we're all going to agree to the intent. But I will just say how many times we've hit our heads against the wall on expected change. When you um, increase penalties and expect that to change behavior, it's a fool's errand. And so I think this lacks efficacy, and I think in some ways it's a distraction from working on the tough issues that are involved in speech right now and in Paul involved in the public forums on law enforcement. So while I think the intent is good, the enactment is a le- another piece of weak legislation that I hope doesn't serve as a band-aid for people thinking we've taken care of the problem of inappropriate people creating um, uh positions of violence um, when when they want to really access public speech. So let's say you're Senator Carabello today. Where's your vote? Oh, yeah, no, this is this is not a worthy bill. <laughs> this is this, gone. Is, this is big government. I, this is rules to make oh, rules. This is, geez. once again, the Republicans wanting statutes to be longer and harder. And they have no teeth. I mean, if, if, if uh, the consequences stopped the behavior, that's one thing. And then there's some real, uh, some issues in this bill. Actually, with rights, you have on one side a militia supporting it. On the other side, you have district attorneys and the ACLU and uh, the professionals in the area that are opposing it. And it's amazing to me that those are not the voices that are being taken care of. Again, I think we all agree to the objective, but we have once again a bill that is about feeling good and not about making change. I thought we were going to go quick, Mara. I thought this was the quick speed Well, you don't have to answer. I'm just waiting. If you want to skip a response, that'll speed it up. So this will be interesting because usually when we talk about protesting, which has turned into rioting these days, usually I feel like it's more of a left exercise. Protesting, but we've learned this year that the right can go out protest and riot themselves. Well, that's yeah, that's that's my point. I just I laugh because this started out as a right of center bill because we saw the the political violence in 2020. It was coming from the left of center voices, uh, and uh, we saw in Salt Lake City in May, car police car overturned, caught on fire. You saw the the destruction of the Capitol. And uh, we, we didn't see much in response. We didn't see that uh, law enforcement was able to protect the public, protect private property, protect people. Uh, law enforcement, members of law enforcement were, are, were harmed uh, in, that, in what happened there here in Salt Lake City, but across the country. Uh, but what we see, if you fast forward to what happened in early January, uh, there, was, there was violence at our U.S. Capitol. And I think many of us have been arguing we have been opposed to political violence, whether it's from the left or from the right or the right. So for my friends on the left who say, well, we don't need this bill, just imagine that this was a Trump supporter that we're trying to keep from you know, creating violence or overturning a, a, a vehicle or doing the things that happen in these riots. I think the comfort level would go way, way up with our Democrats. I thought the Democrats had now become – they had now taken the position they were against political violence now that they – saw it, the pendulum swing the other way. Yeah, I mean, that point of view, Greg, is why these bills go awry. This has nothing to do with ideology. This is about making sure that the laws we put on the records are effective and are legally based. And this passes neither of those tests. So I'm neither right or left on this. This is just a really not effective bill. So Speaker Hughes, where do you vote? Absolutely. And you got to vote for it. I mean, look, you saw the breakdown of public safety last year. You saw that people were not protected. You, it, it cannot be okay. It, you cannot, you know, government enjoys immunity. They don't have any 
consequence. You can't sue them if you're if you're building if your if your small business is burned to the ground or if you've been harmed. There is an immunity that government enjoys where they you cannot litigate or go after them for this kind of uh, consequence. If they so there has to be something on the books that when this rioting takes place, there is a consequence if appropriate measures are not taken. And I can argue watching America and watching our major metropolitan cities burn this last year and seeing what happened at the Capitol at the beginning of January. These are unacceptable situations where there needs to be accountability. And that's why this bill has been well, run is I'm to going create to that ag- accountability. I'm going to agree with you on the, on the goal, but I am going to disagree that this is a well-crafted bill. You can't throw out these large goals and then say it doesn't matter if the bill is cruddy or not. I mean, I hear time and time again from legislators tell me that the reason they don't like ballot measures is that citizens don't know how to craft bills. So I'm just telling you, poorly crafted bills are poorly crafted bills. Well, and Greg, we agree on the sue, goal. I, Look, the bill allows to sue a local government entity if if they don't if they don't do anything reasonable to protect uh, the citizenry. There's nothing bad about the, the the drafting of that legislation. That is creating accountability for these political jurisdictions that they have an obligation to protect the public when when violent political violence breaks out. That is not that does not have to go to interim. That is that can be crafted. We have drafting attorneys, not we. They have drafting attorneys that can write that. And if that's the only part of the bill that passed, it would be good for all citizens to have jurisdictions held accountable when they're not protecting the public. And and we saw when they weren't this last year. And I think we we I think I this is an easy vote. This is something everyone should be getting behind. Do you know what we're not good at? Lightning round. <laughs> I know. Well, you we know what? I was trying to borrow Let's recommit. I know. Okay, I want to talk about the bill that would take power away from the governor in times of emergency. We're all in this more than a year into a pandemic now. We're over having the government tell us what to do. Should the governor have all the power or should the legislature, Greg, we'll start with you on this one, uh, should maybe there be some limit to the governor's powers where the legislature can step in and say, Let's open up the business. Let's burn our masks. Let's do whatever. Yeah, I'll try to be lightning on this. Okay. Uh, the state emergency uh, statutes across our country and, uh, and other states, not just Utah, contemplated these uh, finite moments of emergency, and, and whether it be a tuberculosis outbreak or a fire, earthquake, flood, something like that. What we're in right now, the laws, the statutes regarding state of emergencies were, ne- were never contemplated for. Other states have pulled this back. They've reined in this absolute power, which takes away your checks and balances of the executive branch, legislative branch. And they've paired those way back because this pandemic that's, that's coming up to a year uh, is not what those laws were meant for. And so uh, changing that statute is absolutely necessary. So uh, as a general rule, I think that the power grab of the legislature over the executive branch in the last three years should be something that makes even babies cry. But in general, I'm telling you that the, this is just like now I think it's obliged for the legislature to either take away municipal rights or take away executive rights. I will say this particular bill is specific and it has a round and it does give authority to the executive branch to initially chart the course. So I will accept that this bill is uh, seems to be a practical and directed bill. I will say in general, the public should be well watching that it seems to have become a habit for the legislature to either look at cities or executive branch and decide where they want to gobble up more authority. 
Although it was the people, the voters, who gave the legislature the power to call themselves it into was. session. Thank you, Heidi. Which, Very, that yes. surprised me. Honestly, I, noting. I don't know if people didn't understand that bill or I don't understand the people well because I did not think that would pass. I agree. So I craziness. Agree. I thought it would. You did. <laughs> Uh, I want to talk about one of the bills that you brought up, Greg, uh, in the Senate Bill 122. And this is a custody issue. I didn't even know this one was out there. But it would give us some even playing field for both parents, which I think is important. And surprisingly, that's not where we're at. Explain this bill. Senate Bill 122, custody amendments. It's a sensitive issue. Family law always is. But right now, the way it works is if there's a divorce and there's a a, a decision on custody, you'll have a custodial parent and a non-custodial parent. And typically that that arrangement, the non-custodial parent starts with a 20 or 30 percent visitation right with their children. Uh, the bill that has been presented, uh, Senator Andreg is the bill sponsor, uh, Senate Bill 122. It would it would change that rule and say that there's a presumption that both parents would have equal custody or equal uh, access with to the children. And I think that this is an and then you let the circumstances of a divorce or or it, the circumstances of custody go from there in terms of if there should be more or less, depending on the uh, the parent. Um, I think it's an important place. Uh, I think it's a, a conversation that should have happened a long time ago. Think of it from the child's perspective. They have 100% uh, access to their parents prior to a divorce. Uh, if that divorce comes, which sadly it happens too often in families, uh, the children who if they love their parents equally find themselves uh, only able to see one of those parents 20 to 30% of the time. Uh, changing their lives uh, when they were otherwise 100%. So I think starting it with equal access to the children uh, and then going from there uh, is is reasonable. I think it's uh, it's intuitive. And uh, I think that the only reason you would argue against it are holdover uh, biases of what, what circumstances surround divorce, which in 2021, I, I don't think they're the same as they were 20, 30 years ago would or even 10 years ago. Would this bill help you or your wife? Would your children, which, which way would your kids choose or which way would the court rule? <laughs> Let me tell you something. This, will never, this better never impact the Hughes family. I'm not, I'm not going to jinx it by answering that hypothetical question. That's a good answer. We're, mm-hmm. we're, I'm, never, I'm never answering that. The Hughes' no, three-year-old would be the only three-year-old asking to testify <laughs> on his <laughs> own behalf. So I will say only relying on Greg's interpretation of this bill, which perhaps is fair, but based on based on what what I haven't been tracking this based on I what Greg just said. Um, yeah, so I want to hold uh, an asterisk to if I if I find out Mr. Hughes was please. inaccurate. I will say that um, putting kids first during a divorce is about access to both parents. And so I think that parents who are able to really check their needs and put their their kids' needs first, I think most often that should result in some sort of joint visitation, joint custody. Absolutely. Unless there was something crazy going on, this probably helps a lot of dads out there that probably don't have equal ground. In my relationship, my husband is the Mr. Mom, and so it probably would help me where the judge would be like, okay, fine, we'll let you have the kids a few days, (laughs) even though they'd rather be at dad's house because he cooks Uh, better dinner. Other states have done this too, and they have found... uh, Greg, we agreed. It's speed round. We agreed. Okay, sorry. I know, so many feelings. (laughs) So um, there's a homeless czar bill out there, Mara, and is this needed in our state? We'll let Greg go in a minute, but things have slipped backwards since we made some progress. I mean, we had 
okay, everyone has great intentions and everyone cares. So I want to first put it out there that everyone's doing their best on a really tough issue. I am disappointed to see how mid-level management this position has become. And really, you need to be able to um, hire a change agent. And candidly, you have to change the seats at the table. We continue to just shuffle the same chairs, shuffle the same people, and um, putting a mid-level manager in charge that can only recommend, I don't think was what I was looking for in terms of a huge issue that needs vision, expertise, and some bold action, which requires the ability to operate a little independently. And I applaud the intentions once again, but I think this um, falls short of the mark. Who would you hire? I would hire an expert from outside, largely probably Mr. Dr. Marbot, who is really familiar with Utah. And if I were king for a day, I would take the Lee Iacocca model. I would have all jurisdictions, Salt Lake City, Salt Lake County, and the state, pony up some money to get a first-rate professional that comes in for two years and their job is a change agent. This would be like acquiring a failing business and they would make the hard decisions. Um, the best practices are known here. I'm frustrated on issues when we're like, let's all get a blue ribbon commission and figure out what the issues are. We know what the issues are. We know it succeeds and fails. And we had well-intended people who are now looking at failures and it makes for complicated political conversations. I would bring in an expert with the bona fides from outside. I would pay for that expertise. I would give them two years to create a structure of success and have people with specific talents and then at that point I would turn it back to a government official with a successful creation of a system and then we can uh, plug it back into the bureaucracies plug it back into the nonprofit communities who have been doing great Interesting. work yeah that would kind of like solution. a Mitt Romney who comes and cleans up the Olympics but cleans the Olympics it up, end at some point they have a yeah. different perspective they have a timeline and their the the ownness of them is only to the issue there's no political ramifications and there are experts in the United States who have these qualifications interesting um on the flip side Greg Hughes I've actually heard your name thrown around as being huh. someone who should be the homeless czar uh, did you, you just hear that? the? No, did you hear Mara's answer? I say Mara Carabello is the next Utah's homeless czar right there. <laughs> you guys she could just, be co-czars. She just nailed it. <laughs> no, 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 she she gets it. I think she's got she's got it dialed in. Dr. Marbit uh, did great things in San Antonio, uh, Texas. Also, also, President uh, Trump tapped him to work on the homeless issues uh, nationally. He would be a he'd be phenomenal in this space. And uh, but I tell you that what what Mara just described, I think would be. Critical. I, it's hard to watch. I know we've made. I believe we made measurable improvement. There was a great. Uh, I just think a change in trajectory uh, with our, our issue with people experiencing homelessness, and I think that's been lost. And I, I see now the the. I, I don't know even you can call it a homeless czar, but someone who's going to oversee this effort does feel buried in middle management and state government to me. Uh, it's hard to wrangle in the space that I've learned, or at least when I engaged in it. Uh, and I don't know that if you're uh, you know, answering to a department head within a department or within the state, uh, you have the uh, I, political SWAT or even the you know the the ability to to move things the way you'd need to move them in a, in what's already a really really difficult uh, social issue that uh, that it, it moves one way or the other. It's either getting better, or it's getting worse. It never seems to be static, and it's, that's what makes it so hard. Before we move on from the legislature, what's the one bill you're watching this week, which is uh, your pet prize you're watching, Mr. Hughes? Oh, it's, it's tough. I, you know what? I'm. Uh, I, I, it'll be interesting to see on the 
the bail, the so-called bail reform bill that passed last year, uh, yeah, that that's basically New York uh, State's version of catch and release. Uh, there's two competing bills out there, one from the Senate, one from the House. It'll be interesting to see if the repeal with a working group going forward uh, gets momentum or if a, a fixed bill, which has spent a lot more time trying to fix than even the bill they passed, spent working on getting the bill passed, uh, which one, which one uh, advances next week. I'll be watching that with uh, great, uh, with great interest. I'm Where in, are you at? I'm in wonky land right now. I'm watching a couple of water conservation bills. Um, there's one that would preempt the city's rights and give those rights to developers. And I think it would decrease the uh, desire to have what used to be called zero scape. I don't think we need to think of it that way. Mm-hmm. We need to think about it. Low water use. And I want to make sure that the municipalities can still drive that. And also looking at some metering of our water in, uh, we're a little old school in Northern Utah about how we use our water and we're a dry state. So I'm looking at some water conservation bills. Who's running them? Uh, we have Ward, who I think is a, a great representative, but I think he's got it wrong a little bit on this developer bill. And then we have um, a senator, and I'm spacing his name. Give me okay, a second. Okay, we'll yeah. look it up. What about, I know that there was talk behind the scenes, there might be a water czar of sorts that uh, Utah appoints to go look over our fair share of water. Has that happened yet? We passed that. Well, so the, yeah, it has two components to it. One, the governor has named a new Colorado River commissioner. Um, it's Gene Shawcroft. He is the, the uh, general manager at uh, Central Utah Water Conservancy District. So that single position is um, someone who looks out for our rights with other states. Mostly this project is about the se- there's seven states yeah. that look at the Colorado River. The other bill, which is sponsored by Speaker Wilson and um, President Adams, which is almost unprecedented that they would go together, I think that speaks to how important this bill is. It's not through yet. It has a Senate hearing next week, and then hopefully it passes after that. And that creates an entire commission that will help Utah negotiate the next round of um, water use uh, law that will affect the Colorado River, and it also puts some resources behind Utah's efforts with the Colorado River. Very good. Okay, we're going to be watching. There's a lot that's going to be getting pushed through. There's always so much happening, even when you only hear little tidbits of it. Uh, I want to talk about our congressman real quick before we go away. We've had an interesting week of present and former congressman. Ben McAdams got a new job. Uh, He'll be working with the Sorensen Impact Center Great place for him or weird place for him, Mara? Good place for him. I mean, this follows some uh, logic or some some issues that Ben created at the, the county. I was talking to him this morning about it, and he really believed in enterprise zones, and he created many of the programs that actually get administered by the Sorensen Center. So it feels like a really natural transition of the public service that Ben did as mayor of Salt Lake County. So that seems like a good fit. I'll also say um, that's his part-time job. Another gig that he is starting is, I guess, a foundation called I think he calls it common good foundation Mm -hmm. and it's going to be about you know bringing different points of view to the table to solve big problems it seems like a a Ben McAdams kind of fit Uh, I don't think I saw him going the Mia Love route or Jason Chaffetz Andy Dump on CNN or Fox Uh, I'll also not rule out for him uh, another run of public office okay where is he gonna run I don't know that I think maybe that's the question he's asking himself Mm. but I still think he has a desire to serve the public as an elected official Greg what about you do you sometimes talk to Democrats have you talked to Ben have you said, hey, how's it going? No, actually, I haven't talked to Ben since uh, the elections happened, but we worked uh, very closely together on issues. We actually worked on uh, what you can call pay for performance or social impact bond issues that the Sorensen uh, Impact Center uh, works on at the U. And so I think he's a good voice for that. We did some things in the state 
uh, for uh, early pr uh, child or uh, preschool, early preschool uh, for kids that are disadvantaged or need to get started earlier than later. And uh, we worked on those things together. And I think it's a good segue for him after uh, his time in Congress. So it's, it, it puts him in a good role. I think he'll do well there. Okay, so. so let's talk about one of your friends, Congressman Jason Chaffetz, formerly Congressman, uh, now mm -hmm. a Fox News political pundit. This week, he said that he may give it a go and run against Romney. Is that all talk, or would he really well, do it? And is it a good idea? I, oh, I, I love it. I hope it's not all talk. I, I, I feel that Senator Romney uh, taunts the state. He's a Massachusetts elected governor uh, who changed his tune in an election to become our, our senator. And I think he's proven that he's more inclined to represent the opinions of people from Massachusetts than the people from Utah. And it's just, it's been frustrating to see him uh, about face after he was elected in the Republican primary in 18 and just constantly uh, attack President Trump, uh, go the other way uh, in a place where Senator Orrin Hatch would not have gone. And I think that like any election, it's, it's a battle of ideas, but there needs to be accountability. And Running for Senate's tough. You got to raise a lot of money if you want to be a legitimate candidate. Uh, former Congressman Chaffetz, uh, as a, uh, a contributor for Fox News, uh, he's well known. He's got a good national network. I think he would be a strong contender for that Senate seat. And uh, I think a little accountability uh, would do well for uh, would Romney an even run again? Senate race. Maybe. I mean, I yeah. I, who knows? I think. I mean, I'm not surprised Greg Hughes is bashing on moderates, but I I, I will say, <laughs> you know. Uh, I think this is I think this is pre-contract negotiation language for Chaffetz. I, I don't think the likelihood is right. I will say I, I appreciate that the Republicans want us to focus on Romney, but I will tell you that uh, who who should be gearing up for an inter-party race is Mike Lee. And there's the, a lot of talk about that. Right. And the number of Utah Republicans who are elbowing right now, positioning and trying to see if they could get a leg up on a true blue Trump loving conservative. That's an interesting conversation. And one that's going to come up before uh, the attacks on a moderate statesman who's decided to be independent-minded and not follow banners blindly. See, you converted well, Mara to being a Republican, Ma Greg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ma the fact that Mara loves Mitt Romney says exactly what I'm saying. That's like I, I would expect Mitt Mara to, uh, Greg, to you, love Mitt you, Romney and you not preach, likely. You preach conversation <laughs> and let's reach out together. And I then, do. I and do. then it's not true. That's not an action-based statement. No, you look, I'm just saying that on this program, left of center or those that are more moderate, should and would like Mitt Romney, and they wouldn't like Mike Lee, but I don't think that's the sentiment of the voters of the state of Utah. Then that's why all. is Mike Lee facing more challenges than Mitt Romney? I don't think he is. I think that's, uh, I think that's in your too, service. Right? He's further yes. out. He's further it's, out. It's hard to imagine our race four or five years from now. Where will we be and who will Where? we be? <laughs> so many questions. What about Congressman Burgess Owens? He's brand spanking new, only been in office a couple months, but we keep hearing a lot from him. He was on a House Judiciary Subcommittee uh, panel this week talking about whether or not there need to be reparations. And he's a definite no on that, saying, I was never a slave. I was never owned it by anyone, even though his great-great-grandfather was. Let's move on from here. Do you agree with him, Mara, or do we really need to sit down as a country and think about 
our past sins. So Burgess Owens has done very little to instill confidence in me as a, as a, a member of Congress, and most often I feel embarrassment by what he says and does. But I will say, um, during the campaign and also now in Congress, he has been very articulate with his life experience about being a strong black man, and I really appreciate that point of view. I appoint, I really appreciate the point of view that he says, I feel successful, and I know other um, black people members of the community who are really successful and why are we always victimizing i'm parroting him in that instance Mm -hmm. why and that's the statement that i've heard him say and i really appreciate that dimension to the conversation i do think in the spirit of reparations it, it he's missed the mark he's ignoring most of black americans history i think he's really categorically ignoring american history and i will say that um you know, enslavement is a hard marker in time because, frankly, I would say that systemic discrimination has been carried on and perfected in modern formats. So uh, that could be in loan appreciation and, and access to land and mortgages. So while um, I, I probably wouldn't be one necessarily for reparations, I, I am one to acknowledge that there isn't a level, level playing field right now. And I am one that would very much support the line of reasoning that we should have pressure preferential um, financial environments for black people. I think we should have preference in loans and access to higher education. And I don't see that when I say preferential, uh, I think it levels the playing field. So I think to not understand that the black and brown communities historically have active discrimination um, brought to them against government by their government. I think uh, he lacks that perspective a little, but I will kind of bifurcate and say I, I love his lived experience story. But you can't pay your way out of this. It sounds like give them o- give people opportunity, but you can't buy your way out of the acknowledge. Past. We have systemic racism in our country, and take those same systems and level those out. And so the leveling is going to look like preferred loans and preferred access to education and um, preferred. Uh, access to wealth and resources for the black community. Okay, Greg, where do you stand on this one? Have you heard, um, I mean, I guess, where do you stand on reparations in the first place? I, 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 I think it's, it's another way to continue to divide this nation and to try. I, I'm so against identity politics, especially a country like ours that is a melting pot. We, we, that's, that, that defines us as a nation. And the more we keep dividing our citizenry into race, color, creed, it just, it's, it's what... Uh, enemies of, of the United States, if they if they were could do it themselves, they are doing it. And to do it to ourselves is sad to watch. Uh, Congressman uh, Owens, Burgess Owens, comes from a – look, he's a Republican, but he's a, a black uh, gentleman that has grown up, and he's he's lived the tough side of life. He's, he's seen success. His voice, his perspective, his empathy on this issue, he can share an opinion that I frankly can't. Uh, I, I don't share the same experiences – that uh, Congressman Burgess Owens does, but I can tell you, it's it's refreshing for me to hear that he is not looking to divide this nation. He's not looking for reparations. He doesn't support that kind of uh, effort because it is divisive. It does turn or assume that there's some white America uh, has has wronged a uh, Black America in real time. And and I I, I will tell you that. We do need to make sure that there's a level playing field. I think the Republican principle is equal uh, opportunity, not equal outcome. And we need to make sure that that equal opportunity is there. There are so many ways to do it, but I think you get further away from those opportunities 
when you talk about divisive topics like reparations. I think that's a that that's identity politics and identity politics sends the country in the wrong direction. I mean, the good news is at least he took a break from conspiracy theories to have this conversation. So I felt uh, good you know, about we were that. Getting along. So see, you were just so nice about Congressman Owens. And then you just had to end with that, Mara. That was just, You're or is welcome. that my conspiracy theories? <laughs> I don't know which. <laughs> I think you guys both put on the tin hat re- just pretty regularly. <laughs> all right. No tin we hat. We got you figured out. That's Cuban all. Honest you know dead. It. We're all just going to be a happy family. I feel like I should have come up with a better um, end game for this because that's like it doesn't feel like a good happy ending. Did everyone have a good exactly. snow week? I had a great snow week. I mean, I we were stuck in, but you know, I one look at you know Alta and Snowbird doubled their base with this, it's and nuts. we need this. We need that packed, and it'll saturate our our uh, canyons, and it'll all be good. But it's also just so pretty. I mean, if you have to have February, have snow. It is. It's cute. Greg, did you um, have your kids home to dig you out of your driveway? Yeah, that's the only reason you want to have kids so they can start shoveling the snow when it comes in, <laughs> you know, as, as much as it came this time. That's what, you know, that's when you finally start to see a return on investment. So, yeah, no, we, we got, we shut, we, we dug our way out. It is true. It's, uh, we need it. But I'll tell you what, I wasn't mine. I wasn't upset with those 50 degree days we were having last week. I was, I was, Global warming was looking mighty good to me. So I I'll, love those warm days. I think next mm. Tuesday we might have another one. I'm yeah. all over it. And I will just end this with a shout out to my brother in San Antonio. Oh who's my gosh. Who's had a better Misery. week than ever. They haven't had power for five days. I think they hopefully are getting it today. So, you know. I, have they I, had I, broken pipes? They have. They've just been. And, and, and uh, his husband is an ER nurse and they've had a lot Ugh. of brownouts at the ER and it's just been a miserable week. He's a therapist, so he hasn't had to do any to online therapy. So he's been so, huddled by his fireplace. So I guess climate change is real when Texas freezes over. Is that how that goes? Is that it is. That's exactly that how it goes. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. a mess down there. It's and crazy. I hope they can pull it together because I feel so bad. I mean, there's so many homeowners that are just in a giant mess right there which we could use a whole podcast on so god bless the great state of texas hopefully the sun shines on them quickly and i hope you all join us again for the podcast next week there'll be more things to discuss fervently